Welcome to Single Minded. I am your host, Hannah First, and we are flipping the script on being single. And my mum, Linda, is my co-host. Hi, Linda. Hi, Hannah. Hi, everyone. And happy birthday for yesterday, 32. I hate birthdays, and I don't know if anyone else listening you can do relate not. to this. I That's do. You love your birthday. I really hate, well, maybe I used to love them, but I don't like them anymore. I've decided I'm just going to ignore them moving forward. You didn't like it because you weren't here with us because I always do a good birthday bash. Yeah, that's true. I think I was a little bit homesick yesterday and I, mum and I spoke three times and Ruby and I spoke three times. So just another normal day. So you've left Melbourne for uh, some good weather. Mm -hmm. What the hell has happened on the coast? I think I'm sorry to say that it's raining on that whole coast till Christmas. Is it still raining? Yesterday the sun came out for my birthday, but it's raining again this morning. There's mm. been flooding. The Byron Bay main beach has disappeared. People's <gasps> like houses are in really? jeopardy. Really? Yes. Really, really bad. So I noticed you you drove through Nimbin, which I, I remember taking you there when you were young. And did you buy that horny goat weed? No. <laughs> so I posted a photo for those that don't follow me on Instagram. I posted a photo of this like goat weed stuff that was in Nimbin. Don't forget horny goat Ho- weed. Sorry, horny goat weed. And a guy responded and said, can you pick me up a bag? Ugh. No, I didn't buy that. I, <laughs> I didn't. I don't. Okay. So that. I'm pretty sure there is no scientific research into that. Definitely and not. I was wondering how can that one weed cure everything? Do you know what it cures hay fever, nerve pain, osteoporosis and erectile dysfunction. Hello, I don't think so. Good you saved your money. And the other thing was that last week's challenge, I had a friendship date booked for Friday and then obviously the storms, we were going to go for a walk, but the storms have prevented me from leaving the house and I haven't been able to drive anywhere. And I don't think they're leaving. I'm so sorry. Oh, I know. I'm going up to Queensland next week. So hopefully the weather's a little bit better there. You've missed our 33 degrees and full sun. I know. I know. Mm. I don't know why I'm here. Lonely on my talking about the episode. So I actually, um, maybe I should just shout this out, but I've started a column for Fashion Journal on the topic of the podcast each week. And I had to write about loneliness last week to match the episode. And I was really, I have been getting pretty lonely up here, I think. But you're not alone, are you? You've got I'm not alone, but I, I just think you and lonely. I are so codependent. You've really ruined my life and so I'll I'm never worried. be able to, yes. I'll never be able to leave and I'll never be able to move in with anyone because I'll just have to stay with you forever. I, I'm actually really worried I've done the wrong thing and God forbid anything happens to me. How will you know, survive? Don't say that. Don't say that. I better not say that. <laughs> All right. So on today's episode, I am chatting to Alexandra Collier. She is a single mum by choice and a writer. And I read her article on the Sydney Morning Herald, which I'll link in the episode notes, which was just absolutely fascinating about her journey to getting a sperm donor and having her first child on her own. So as someone that is thinking about freezing my eggs, I had a lot of questions and then in the, in the outro, Linda decided to email Alexandra after the interview and wanted to ask some questions of her own. So we're going to chat through that after the interview. So I hope you enjoy it. 
Welcome, Alexandra, to the podcast. Alexandra Collier is an award-winning writer. She lived in New York for 10 years and you returned to Melbourne to begin the process of becoming a single mother by choice. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's so lovely to be here. I read your piece in the Sydney Morning Herald ages ago. That's how I first kind of got introduced to you and your story. And I reread it this morning. It was so fascinating. And I would really like to hear your journey to becoming a single mother by choice. Well, I was living in New York and I had been there actually for about 10 years and I was in a relationship with a lovely American guy and it became quite clear that he wasn't ready to have kids. So that was really the catalyst for me to leave that relationship. We, you know, we mulled it over for a while and then I just made the painful decision that I had to get out because I was in my late 30s and I knew I really wanted children. So I moved back to Australia and started the process of looking into assisted reproduction and I was still dating at the time. I kind of kept two burners going. I, I mean, I think that you should in life. It's like you may as well keep dating, keep seeing what's out there. But none of those relationships really unfolded in a way that felt like they were going to head towards children or a family. And there was also this enormous pressure to kind of find someone in this limited time frame, which I think makes dating almost impossible. It's just this kind of yeah. artificial pressure hovering above you at all times and so you're trying to accelerate the intimacy that you have between you and another person to get to a family which I think is not really like a natural way to date <laughs> and so eventually after you know a series of slightly catastrophic and hilarious online dating experiences which I'm sure your listeners will identify with yes and I, I definitely know what you're talking about yeah, yeah I decided to get pregnant using a sperm donor at a fertility clinic. So that was actually a pretty straightforward process for me because it worked the first time miraculously. And now I have a 15-month-old boy. Incredible. In the article, there was a line that you said, my romantic life was out of sync with my reproductive timeline, which I can really, really relate to. I feel like I am nowhere near the headspace of my romantic life, but I know that my body, as I get into my like 30s, your reproductive biological clock does start to like take hold. Is that something that happened to you? And was there a point that you realized, oh, I'm going to have to sort of go and do this on my own? Yeah, I think there's this sort of fallacy that we can get pregnant whenever now that because mm. we have IVF, it's given us a sort of a degree of freedom as women I don't want to put it on women, say women are putting off having children. I think women are trying to, you know, have careers and trying to live their lives and trying to find partners within the kind of reproductive window. And those things are not all happening so that they can actually have kids within that window. And I really feel like it's so many women out there are finding that, that their reproductive timeline is out of sync with their mm. romantic life. Because since I've written the article, so many people have contacted me and said, this is exactly my experience. Mm. And I've got a lot of sort of amateur, like sociology ideas about why that is. But it, what are some of those ideas? <laughs> yes, I was <laughs> hoping you would ask me. <laughs> I just led you right there. Well, I think that online dating is one big part of it. I think online dating has, you know, shifted the social contract and I'm not alone in saying that. And I think that it's, 
it's kind of ruined us a bit. I mean, I think it's particularly ruined men because in most major cities in the world, there are more women than men, sadly. Mm-hmm. So if you're a straight woman looking for a guy, it's harder than if you're a straight guy looking for a woman online. You've got all of these choices, all these lovely, evolved, like beautiful, smart, brilliant choices. Mm. So if you're a man, you can kind of just keep swiping endlessly and never make a decision. You know, I think there's this sort of Peter Pan thing going on where men have been liberated by feminism. They can now embrace different roles other than father and provider. You know, they don't have to like settle down and buy a house and do all the traditional things that men had to do probably in our father's generation. And that's great. They get to live different lives, but it's basically stranded women. You know, women are sort of out here alone. And I also think women have worked on themselves. You know, we've been taught to be emotionally evolved and we've had to cultivate all these skills. And so whilst men are able to do all these new things, they haven't sort of been taught the same emotional sophistication And so it feels like there's a gap a little bit between where men and women are at in their 30s and 40s. And I feel like men don't really have their kind of come to Jesus, like fertility moment until they're in their 40s. And then they're like, oh, shit, now maybe I want a wife and I'm going to settle down. But when they're in their 30s, like, oh, whatever, you know, no big deal. And even in their 40s, they still have time. They can kind of meander around and date 26-year-olds if they want, you know. So Mm. I guess that's none of that is very uplifting. (laughs) looking but I just decided that I didn't want to wait for a man's permission to have a kid you know it felt like I was waiting for Mm. the right guy to come along and say yes you're allowed to do this we can do it together and it, it was really liberating to step out of that model and go well actually I don't have to wait for someone to be on board I don't have to wait for someone to be emotionally involved I don't have to wait for someone to be ready or grown up enough, I already know what I want. So why am I waiting for something that may or may not happen later on when I already know now exactly what I want? Did you feel any, I guess, I I read your article. It was super powerful for me where I'm at in my life. Like it probably made me quite emotional reading it. Do you think there's still maybe some stigma around women going off and doing these things on their own? Did you feel any of that when you were making the decision? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's still stigma. I think Mm. it's still an unconventional path and Mm. it's becoming more mainstream. We're starting to hear about it a bit more and it's becoming more acceptable. And so many times before I even wrote the piece, I would mention to someone, oh, I'm a solo parent. My kid is donor conceived. And they'd say, oh, I know someone who did that, Mm. you know, or I have a friend. So there's these associations of there are people out there doing this and there is a big community who I discovered when I was looking into going down this path. And and those women have really been my support system. They're the ones who helped me make the choice because I could see their lives. They were modeling this version of parenthood that seemed impossible to me, but once I could see it, it didn't seem so Mm. impossible. And I think I'm hoping that is what writing about it is going to do for people that they can see that it's possible. I don't want to say it's easy, But I do want people to be able to see that it's something that's out there that shouldn't be stigmatised, that shouldn't be surrounded by any shame or sense of failure or Mm. instead I think it's actually quite a brave path to follow and it's one that shows that people know their own mind and know what they want and they're willing to pursue it. You know, I'm in my early 40s. There are women who are 10 years younger than me who are already doing it. They're like, oh, whatever. You know, Mm. I spoke to quite a few people and they said to me, 
oh, you know, I always knew I wanted to have a kid, but I didn't really matter to me either way whether I was a wife. And these were people who were, you know, late 20s, early 30s. And I was just so impressed by that amount of like self-possession that those women mm. had because I certainly didn't have that in my early 30s or late 20s. I wasn't thinking clearly enough about what my future would hold. And I probably didn't have that biological imperative then. I didn't feel like that sense of pressure back then. It just took me longer. It just takes you as long as it takes. That's the thing. You can't really rush any any decisions, <laughs> even though you have to rush them to a certain degree. Well, do you think, I was going to ask, in your kind of 30s, like your early 30s, did you know that you wanted to have kids at that point or it was something that kind of hit you a little bit later as, as I guess, the relationship with your partner that had ended and then you were like, okay, this is what I want to do or you kind of always knew that you wanted to have kids? I think it was always in the back of my mind as something that it was going to happen. It wasn't mm. really something I had thought about or stared at too hard. It was just sort of a given, you know, something that was going to unfold in the course of time along with a relationship. Yeah. And so I was really focused on finding someone to be with more than I was focused on thinking about my future family when I was in my early 30s. And I think when all the pieces lined up, when I found myself in a relationship that was stable and solid and felt like it had a future and I was living with that person and we had been together for a few years, that is when it hit me that I really wanted a kid. I feel like mm. it was almost an overnight realisation. I'm sure it wasn't. I'm sure it was cumulative. But it, it did mm. feel like I woke up one day and I was just slammed with this you know, biological, like this fierce desire mm. to have a child that I hadn't felt before. I'd always thought, oh, yeah, I'll have kids one day. Like, whatever, sure, that seems like kind of domestic drudgery slash something that would be mm. meaningful. You know, I love kids. Well, you know, sure, 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 whatever. Kind of like looking at it a bit <laughs> out of the corner of my eye but not really looking at it because having kids is scary, you know, even with another mm. person. It's a massive shift in your life and you give up so much. And, you know, your body is taken over by this weird alien creature. So <laughs> which turns out to be a beautiful baby. But there's so many ways in which I had interrogated the idea of motherhood and pregnancy and was very clear-eyed on how kind of strange and all-consuming it was going to be. And I had this sort of analytical view of it that was sort of distant. And then suddenly one day I woke up and it was something I really wanted. And I couldn't even really explain that. Like I kept saying to my boyfriend, you know, it's going to be great. Like I kept trying to convince him how great it was going to be. And I felt a bit like I was being gaslit because we kept debating it, but I knew very clearly what I wanted. And so it was like, I was saying to someone, I want this, I want this. And they were like, do you really, do you really, like, is that really a good idea? Is that really a good idea? And it was sort of driving me a bit mad because when you desperately want something and someone is mm. saying, no, no, you can't have it. No, no, you can't have it. And you're in love with that person. And they're the ones who can give you that thing that you want. It's very frustrating. You feel like you're banging your head against a wall. Yeah. So for me, it was, it did feel like it was suddenly an overnight realization. And I think a lot of women probably have that. I can't explain it. I mean, maybe mm. it was pure biology. And I felt a bit embarrassed about that at the time. I remember saying to a friend of mine, a male friend, like, Oh, it's weird. I, you know, I know it's just like biology. And he was like, well, what's wrong with biology? Like, that's what we are. We're mm. humans in bodies. Yeah. Like, don't be ashamed of that. That's who you are. And I found that hugely liberating as well. I was like, it's okay for me to want this just because my body wants it, even though it's not hugely logical, the desire to have a child. Mm. And it does run counter to all your ambitions in a lot of ways. Like you have to, I have to find a way to fit my artistic career and life around having mm. a kid. Like there is that reality. 
And what was the actual process, like the practical kind of process for anyone thinking about getting a sperm donor? Because I guess I wouldn't really know where to start. I think you mentioned there was like a Facebook group. Is that kind of where you started? I went to a meeting of this solo mother support group in Melbourne. So I went to VARTA, which is this organisation, has these meetings because I was exploring the idea and I wanted to sort of meet some other women who'd done it and hear about their stories. That's one way. There's also a Facebook group online, Australia Solo Mothers by Choice Facebook group, if you just want to find out information, sort of initial preliminary kind of information. I went to see a fertility specialist and talked about my options with them and then you once you sort of start the process you do two counseling sessions through the fertility clinic you used to have to do a police check and a child protection order check but they just got rid of those and then you pay for access to the sperm donor database and you kind of like it's sort of like tinder for sperm you know you're looking through these guys but there's no photos or there were no photos (laughs) when i was doing it yeah sadly when i was doing it there were no photos (laughs) now i think they have baby photos for some of the guys it depends which state you live in as well because some clinics and some states have waiting lists because there's so few donor resources yeah that took me that whole process was kind of stretched out i would say over a year or so because i was going to these appointments i was like I'll just go to the counselling session because I may as well go and see what happens. And I went to the first counselling session and I was dating someone at that time and the counsellor said to me, well, why don't you just freeze your eggs? Yeah. So I kind of went back and forth and back and forth, you know, on this decision-making process. And then I finally bit the bullet and chose a sperm donor sort of at the end of, oh, God, 2018, was it? Yeah. So that's the kind of process. And then you, the actual getting pregnant, I was under 40, so you do IUI, which is intrauterine insemination. It's just a fancy word for being inseminated. Basically, you do two weeks of follicle-stimulating hormones that you inject into yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have to do that. You can just be inseminated, but it's a, it gives you a better chance. And then you trigger the egg release and then get inseminated. And then you see if it works. And, and you got pregnant straight away, which... I got pregnant straight yeah. away, which is just ridiculously lucky. Yeah. Yeah. Last year I started thinking about freezing my eggs and then this year I'm turning 32 in a few days actually. And so I'm seriously thinking about it. What kind of made you decide, because egg freezing is quite expensive, it's probably an extra step to get to what you really knew that you wanted. Well, also my specialist said, you know, you should freeze your eggs by the time you're 38. And I think I was around that age. So time was sort of ticking down. I mean, if I was 32, I might differently about it I might have gone down the egg freezing route if I had the money but I was aware that it was expensive and it wasn't really an insurance policy that was necessarily going to pay off I think a lot of women don't end up using their frozen eggs and the problem is when you defrost them you don't know how many of them are going to survive you I mean it's just it's the numbers are so <laughs> are slightly dispiriting because you can get 12 eggs yeah. and then like three of them might survive and then two of them might survive the unfreezing process and then one of them might fertilize or one might you know there's it's just yeah it's a law of diminishing odds with freezing eggs so i think it's oversold to us a little bit as this is going to be absolutely an ironclad guarantee that one of these eggs will end up being a child and it's yeah. just not i mean the process of ivf is just really fickle and unpredictable Mm. that said i wouldn't tell you what to do either way like you have to make your choice based on what resources you have and 
if you have the money, I feel like, sure, go ahead. And you're in your early 30s. It's a really expensive it's so exercise. Expensive. You know, but you- it is getting cheaper. It's going to yeah. get cheaper in the next few years because especially in Victoria because they've done this review of all the IVF laws and not the laws, all the sort of processes. And the plan is that it's going to become cheaper because it's pretty exorbitant and it's out of reach for a lot of people and it becomes a kind of class thing where some people can afford it and other people can't and so i don't know like check out what the different options are because there's some clinics now that maybe even bulk bill i think so i don't know yeah i think it's a it's a hard one for me at this point (laughs) i think i think i feel the same as you when i read the bit where you said your romantic life was totally out of sync I was like, oh, yes, that is so me. Mm. And now on to kind of motherhood. What is single motherhood like and what's amazing about it? What's tough about it? I'm sure there's a bit of both. Yeah, it's definitely really hard work being a solo parent. Yeah. I mean, I, I love being a mum. I love being a mum way more than I ever thought I would. I get so much joy out of it. I mean, when I was younger in my 20s I did a lot of nannying and stuff and I love kids I love hanging out with kids but you just can't account for how much more you love your own children you know how much more Mm. you want to spend time with your own children and how much less boring it is when it's being stuck with your own child because you just have that bond with them yeah so I'm really I really enjoy parenting him I'm not it's not always easy and he's becoming a toddler so he's quite stubborn and he knows what he wants I just get an endless amount of satisfaction out of being around him being with him and you know you sort of fall in love with your child really you you kind of are in this (laughs) dreamy space or I have been a lot of people I think experience this at some point for the first couple of years you know you also can be exhausted and have postnatal depression and have all terrible things as well but you know it can be really tiring I remember at the beginning just being so exhausted Mm. and sort of feeling a bit insane it's weird. It's like parenting with another person I was thinking yesterday must be a bit more of a performance. It's like you're always being witnessed by someone else and you're looking at this person that you created and there's the three of you sort of together. So this is a triangle where, you know, you're both going, look at this thing we made together, you know, mm. look at this person and sort of marvelling at it. Like there's something very nice about being able to share that. We, we know when my brother comes over and my parents come over, like there's so much pleasure in sharing this person you know that we all look at this person and this person who's related to us and is part of our blood and we go oh my Mm. god look at that thing that he just did you know we all find it so delightful and sometimes I think oh god I wish that I could have that with the person I created this child with so it's not like I don't think that but then I mentioned that to someone else and they said to me oh god it's so rare that you're just like lying blissfully in bed with a baby between you just like marveling at your child like most (laughs) of the time you're just like annoyed or doing the laundry and the other person isn't or you know you're just grumpy like it's kind of a romantic idea that you just be sort of staring blissfully at your child saying oh look at all the wonderful things you do instead of bickering about (laughs) like your different parenting approaches or something I think it's just the sheer magnitude of all the domestic work that is difficult on your own. And mm. it's just important to have a support network. And I very much feel like I get, I now have a routine. So everything kind of follows, you know, a step-by-step process. It's like I get him up in the morning and I take his sleep suit off and I put the sleep suit back in the bed so that it's ready to go so that I don't have to worry about it later. You know, there's just things that I'm always sort of doing. It's that 
mothering thing that all mums do. You know, if you want something done, ask a mum to do it because they will multitask the shit out of it. Mm. It's like I'm always making sure I do all the things now, the shortcuts now, so that later when I have to do that thing or when I have to put that nappy on or whatever, the onesie's there or whatever, you know, it's so just keeping ahead of all that stuff. And I don't know if that's particularly different to any mother solo other, otherwise, but sometimes it's, you know, can be exhausting. But then it also gets easier, I think, as it goes along because at the very beginning it's sort of like you've no idea what you're doing and then they start to grow up a bit, they sleep better. It's just evolves constantly, parenting, and it's constantly mm. changing and you're constantly thinking, I don't know how this thing works, and then you learn how that thing works. It's just levelling up all the time, you know, next level, next level, next level in terms of knowledge and understanding. And and then in 30 years, maybe you'll be hosting a podcast together like me and my mum do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that would be my dream. I'd love that. My last question is back to dating. How has dating changed? I guess you talked about dating pre-child where you were trying to find someone to have a child with, but now that you have a child, has dating changed for you? What's dating? <laughs> All right, so no dating. Um, okay, so you're the only person who's asked me this. This is really, we're really peeling back the curtain here. I feel like I don't have the energy or bandwidth to date yet. Mm-hmm. I briefly, like between pandemic lockdowns in Melbourne, you know, when we kind of had that brief yep, honeymoon I mean period, yes. yeah, where we I were remember. like, oh, we're allowed yep. to see people again. I thought, oh, maybe I'll, you know, get online because I think that first lockdown really spurred a lot of us onto this, like we suddenly felt Mm. this deep sense of isolation and especially as a solo parent, that was even more significant. And so I thought, oh, get online. I got online for a hot second. It was about a week and just was (laughs) totally put off by what was out there I just and I just that's felt, not just single mums by the way that's no, me too <laughs> it's not sadly sadly just the lack of focus that the photos were being taken with alone it's like why would you angle a photo from like below your chin and slightly <laughs> so true. With like a beer in your hand and like or your forehead cut off it's just I just don't understand why people can't take a selfie Anyway, so, <laughs> and then I just thought, you know what, my heart is not really in this because I'm mm. getting annoyed and there's nothing worse than being online and just being annoyed, you know, like angry swiping. So like, no, mm. no, no. Like you're almost enjoying yep. saying no to people. Yeah. And so I thought I'm not really in the headspace for this clearly because I'm not going into this with an open heart and an open mind. But I also feel quite ambivalent about online dating. I think it's designed to keep us single. and. I resent that it's the inevitable way that we have to meet people. I just want to meet people in the world. I know that's so same. But Since I got to Byron, it's been happening left, right and centre for me. I needed to get out of Melbourne because I found there's a lot of international people here and people on holidays. So everyone's a little bit more open to chatting in person, which has been really nice. I find in Melbourne, I only ever meet guys on the apps, never in real life. It's weird, isn't it? Yeah, you need to go into a new situation and meet new people, yeah. whatever that looks like. I mean, even I just joined a co-working space and it's like I've had so many conversations with new people that I wouldn't have had yeah. alone in my kitchen. So I think there is something to be said for moving spaces, like m- geographically going somewhere else, either interstate to Bar and Pay or to the bookstore. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah, that's my answer. That's that's <laughs> as much as I can give you about my dating life. It's not very exciting, unfortunately. If you're a single guy out there and you're really looking for a like a 
hot solo mom with a 15 month old hit me up <laughs> so thank you so much for joining me alexandra it was so lovely to chat and i really want to thank you so much for writing that article because it's definitely opened up my mind to other possibilities for having children <laughs> okay good so thank you so much okay sienna so Linda, I am so when you said that you had emailed Alexandra and then you'd spoken to her on the phone, I was like, you really are becoming a podcaster now. What happened was you just didn't ask her some very important questions. Okay. <laughs> so I contacted Ali. You guys are besties now. To get the lowdown. Okay. So my first question to Ali was, did you consult your mother about your decision oh. to use a sperm donor to conceive? <gasps> Oh, my God, that's a good one. And the thing that comes after that single motherhood because I just can't even imagine. And so she said to me it was a long journey with her parents because initially they weren't happy Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because really they wanted her to be in a relationship. And so she actually didn't tell them until I think it was about six months before having treatment. So she'd gone through it all. And then she said over a fancy lunch she revealed her plans which she then had to put off for a bit because she was going to LA and her mum said, oh, good, you're putting it off for a bit. That gives you a month to meet your knight in shining armour. Oh, my God, a month. That always happens in real life. So would you consult me or would you just go ahead? I don't mind the idea of a sperm donor. I don't make any decisions without you, so I highly doubt that I... I think we would be on full discussion. I don't even choose my date outfits. Like I will get changed into an outfit for a date. I will send mum a photo and ask her if it's okay even the color of your lipstick that's the level that me and mum are at so i i'm pretty sure if i because remember mum if i had a baby on my own you would be my you'd be my nanny we will get to that yeah okay so my next question to ali was was your mother in the delivery room because i'm squeamish so i asked her did she cry faint or she wasn't asked interestingly she said I didn't actually want her there because she's a doctor so she felt she'd be either too passionate about it all or nervous so she hired a doula and for those which I didn't know what that was that is a labor and childbirth support person she had a student midwife and the hospital midwife and she just said it would be too stressful for her mother and for herself so what is your thoughts on that me in the (sighs) delivery room I don't know about you in the delivery room. I actually think dad would be better in the delivery room than <gasps> you because Boy. he's he'd be calmer, like obviously like up next to my head, not watching the baby come out. Yes. But I actually think dad would be a better. Sorry. I, agree. I, I think you, mom isn't good with sick people. And whenever any of us are sick, she's like uh, not interested. And she just, and, and dad's the one that would take care of I us. would be hysterical in a delivery room. So yep. I'm glad I'm not going to yep. be asked. Okay. So my next question was how many times a day did you call your mum when you had the baby? And her answer was she moved in with them for four months. <gasps> oh but- my God. I love, okay. I, I'm sold. I'm sold. But yep. she did do all the night feeds, so they weren't coming in and helping her in the night, but that she did move in with them. So is is that mm. what I can expect, four months of raising a baby um, with you? 18 years. 
months, yeah. <laughs> not yeah. four months. I'll be if I have a baby on my own, I will be moving in with you for eighteen years, <laughs> oh, and God. then when the kid moves out, I'll then be looking after you. You'll That's be true. how old? If I had a baby, say I had a baby, you know, in the next five years, you'd be then sixty-five. So then eighteen plus sixty-five, you'd be eighty. Three and so once the kid moves out, then I would be looking after you. Well, that seems fair. Wiping your bum. Yeah, and, if, if I yeah. help you, you, you help, help me, me. I help you. Scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. So my next question to her was, "What happens when your mother says I'm going on a holiday for four weeks? Do you get mad?" <laughs> and she said, "That hasn't happened yet. They do travel a lot, and it will be tough. But I've got a couple of babysitters and a little bit of childcare going on. So." If I said to you, I'm off for four or six weeks, would you get mad with me? I, I get mad at you now when you say you're going for four to six weeks. <laughs> That's like, true. It doesn't even matter if there was a baby. When you and dad say you guys go for like five weeks to Europe every year, I get mad at you every single time and I call, I make you FaceTime me like every day. So... That would be no change, I think. Okay. I'd probably tag along. Oh, that's true. And the baby. <laughs> I I remember you were going on a trip with your all of your, you know, 60-plus friends. There was going to be like 16 of them in Europe together. And I was like, can I come? <laughs> you, were like, no. you were like, no, you can't no. come. So next question is, <laughs> did your mother ever try and take over? Because I might be at risk of doing this and I would have to be very careful. And she said no. Her mother mm-hmm. hasn't taken over. She's been great letting me manage myself she's been very encouraging which is important and she's always said you're doing so well so oh that's I would, actually that's nice that nice yeah very nice well, this is probably a good segue into the challenge so I have been probably for the last two years I've been thinking about freezing my eggs I'm not sure if I want to have kids yet. I have absolutely no idea. As Ali said about freezing her eggs, it was kind of she got to her late 30s and she sort of had to make a decision. Yes, whereas your early 30s. So I'm 32 and so it was my birthday yesterday and my challenge to myself this year, it's this week, it's not to go and freeze my eggs because that's probably too much of a, that's, that's a big life challenge. And expensive. Yeah, and it's expensive. So what I actually wanted to do was there's like the first step that you have to do, which is actually to check your fertility. So I actually wanted to look, well, this is my challenge this week. I want to find out how I can do it and what's involved. And I need to do that as the very first step of the freezing of your eggs. Because like, I guess if your fertility is not great, that is definitely a reason to freeze them. So my challenge this week is to figure out, I need to figure out what the first step is because I actually don't yeah, know. What, it, what, what it's all about. Yeah, because yeah, exactly. you, you, the first step isn't just to go and get your eggs frozen. There's actually, I realized that you do, you've got to do some tests first and then you've got to go see the fertility specialist and then, and then you've actually got to go on hormones and injections. It's actually quite an intense process. So mm. I just thought you just rocked up at the doctor and they took out the eggs and you were done. But no, that, that's no. not. That's not what happens. Anyway, Mum, I'm so impressed with your investigative skills today. Well, um, that, well, that I've were got really a thousand questions. I've got a thousand more questions on sperm donors that can be for another another what, time. What do you mean? You asked her well, more questions. No, I want to know. Oh. You know, who are these sperm donors? What well, maybe, sort of? Do you think getting a sperm donor or even like an egg donor 
that might be an interesting chat. Yeah, it could be interesting. Well, thanks everyone for joining. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Linda, good work this week. <laughs> I'm <laughs> taking over, baby. The, you're totally, t- she actually texted me and she's like, "I." by the way, I'm taking over this week. And I was like, go for it. You didn't ask, <laughs> you know, my, my questions. I didn't ask the hard questions. Well, thanks everyone for joining. We'll see you next week. If you made it this far, I'm hoping that you enjoyed the podcast. If you could subscribe and leave a five-star rating and review, that would be much appreciated. It really helps other people find the podcast. Not that I'm desperate or anything. See you next week.